This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is value. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Good afternoon and welcome to Word and Praise Radio featuring the sermons from the pulpit of Redeemer Church of Clarkston. I'm Pastor Paul Edwards. Just a little more than two years old, Redeemer Church is the only Reformed Baptist church in Clarkston, Michigan. We meet Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Sashabal Middle School on Maybe Road between Sashabal Road and Clintonville Road in Clarkston. Our worship services last about 75 minutes. They include public prayer and scripture reading, historic and contemporary hymns, and relevant messages messages from God's Word, just like the ones you're hearing every Sunday right here on Faith Talk 1500. If you're looking for a church where you can broaden your understanding of God's Word, deepen your relationships with God's people, and be a part of reaching a community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I invite you to join us in person for one of our Sunday services. We're committed to the historic Christian faith. Redeemer also has a full Bible teaching time for your elementary age children. You can learn more about our church, including directions and service times, at Redeemer clarkston.com on this first Sunday of March, we begin a brand new radio series. How do we live out our faith in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity? This was the very question the first century Christians faced, and Peter addressed it with practical answers in his first epistle. So I invite you to get your Bible and join the congregation of Redeemer Church of Clarkston in the first epistle of Peter as we examine how to live life together in a hostile culture. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse number 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift. Even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak... Let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse number 7 answers the philosophical question that even unbelievers wrestle with, What is the purpose of my existence? But it goes beyond that in in answering the question, what is the purpose of my suffering in my existence? Why do we suffer? Were we simply created, born to live a life of difficulty and pain and grief and sorrow, and then we die? Well, verse 7 and following, but especially in verse 7 for our purposes this morning, helps us with that struggle. What am I here for? If if I'm just here to, to wake up on Monday morning, and I don't want to wake up on Monday morning, and I don't want to face another day, if I'm just here 
to deal with all of the stuff that, that I have to deal with that I don't want to deal with, and then I die, what is the whole point? Well, Peter helps us when he says, the end of all things is at hand. When you read that, I want you to get Jack Van Impey's picture out of your head. I, I want you to get out of your head the idea that what Peter has in mind here is the rapture's coming and it'll all be okay. Because that is the farthest thing from Peter's mind. Peter is not saying to us that because of the promise of the rapture or the promise of the second coming, that our suffering and, and, the, and the, the mundane of our life and, and the things that pain us so deeply really don't matter. Because after all, Jesus is coming, perhaps today, and it's all going to be, it's all going to go away, and so it doesn't matter. No, Peter if you've read the previous parts of this letter, Peter does not make light of our suffering. Peter, Peter makes certain that we understand that suffering is an integral part of our life with God. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There is suffering. So Peter is not diminishing in any way our suffering when he says, the end of all things is at hand. In that phrase, Peter is helping us understand what is the point of our existence. But more than that, what is the point of our suffering? The end of all things is at hand. Two things that we have to figure out. Number one, what does he mean by the end? And number two, what does he mean by all things? The end is the Greek word teleos. It's where we get our word, part of the word, telescope from. If you were to look into a telescope, you would be looking at something in the distance, something that is far away. Uh, you might use a telephone, and the objective of a telephone is to help you speak to someone who is far away. Now, they might be close. It might be your next-door neighbor, or in this day and age, with our smartphone capability, we can talk to somebody in Kiev, Ukraine, in a moment's notice, just as if they were our next-door neighbor. Telos does not mean the end in the sense of finality. Telos does not mean the end in the sense of the end of time. Telos means the goal or the objective. So what it, what's Peter saying to us? The goal of all things is at hand. Okay? So now we know that Peter's not talking about the finality. He's not saying time is wrapping up. He's not talking about time at all. He's talking about an objective. God's objective and God's purpose for all things. So what is God's purpose, God's end, God's goal for all things that Peter says is now at hand. Well, we have to know what all things are. How would Peter have understood this phrase, all things? I think he would have understood it in the way that he heard Jesus use it. Can we agree on that? I, I think Peter would have understood this phrase, all things, in the way that he understood Jesus to have understood and to have been using this phrase, all things. So let's just take one of the Gospels. We, we could take all of them. You could take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I would encourage you, get your concordance out this afternoon on your smartphone or on your laptop. 
type in the phrase, all things, and you can do a Bible study on your own on this phrase, but I'm just taking the Gospel of John uh, every time, uh, or at least most of the time, the phrase, all things, occurs. And the reason I want to do that is because I want to know how Peter would have understood Jesus using the phrase, all things. Look at John chapter 1 and verse number 3. All things were made by who? Him. Who's the Him? Jesus. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. All things. Look at uh, chapter 3 and verse number 35. Chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and hath given what? All things into His hand. Chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse number 20. John 5, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and showeth Him all things that He Himself doeth. The Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that himself doeth. Chapter 13, verse number 3. Chapter 13, verse number 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. So all things have been given by the Father into the hand of Jesus. Chapter 14, verse 26. Chapter 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Chapter 15 and verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Chapter 16, verse 15. John 16, verse 15. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Verse number 30, same chapter, John 16, verse number 30. Now are we sure that thou knowest, this is the disciples talking to Jesus, now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee, by this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Chapter 17, verse 7. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. And here's the kicker. Remember Jesus on the beach after his resurrection? Peter says, I'm going fishing. He abandons his calling. He ends up having a long conversation over some fish frying on the beach. In John chapter 21, verse number 17 Jesus saith unto him, John 21, verse 17, Jesus saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest what? All things. 
Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. This is Peter. This is the same Peter who's writing now, some 30 or 40 years later, to Christians who are going through deep, intense persecution. And he says to them in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. What are the all things? The all things, in a nutshell, is everything that God has purposed to do through the suffering of Christ and the suffering of His church. That's all things. When the Bible here says, when Peter here says, but the end of all things is at hand, Peter does not have eschatology in mind. He doesn't have Jack Van Impey and Roxella in mind. He doesn't have perhaps today in mind. He doesn't have the rapture in mind. He doesn't have the second coming in mind. He has in mind the purpose of our suffering. The objective of the suffering of Jesus Christ was to produce the vindication of God and ultimately the glory of God. And Peter, who through this entire letter has been likening the suffering of these people in the first century, these first century Christians, the intense suffering that they're undergoing, he's been likening it to the suffering of Christ. He says, your suffering is the same. He says that in verse 1 for First uh, Peter 4. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. So in other words, the end of all things is at hand does not mean that Jesus is coming and everything's going to be made right, although that could be a part of it. The greater message here is the goal of the messianic suffering of Jesus Christ was the vindication of God by raising Him from the dead and setting Him at His own right hand in glory. And the goal of your suffering is not to get out from under your suffering. is not to try in any way to skirt around God's purpose for your life, but to submit yourself to that suffering with the understanding that just as God vindicated Jesus by raising Him from the dead and setting Him at His own right hand in glory, God, no matter how deeply you suffer, will also vindicate you and set you at the Father's right hand. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 2 that you are going to sit with Christ in the throne of His Father and you will reign as kings and priests in the same way that Jesus does. So all things in Peter's understanding would have been all the evil things that happened to Jesus that culminated in his crucifixion. Peter had the, or Paul had the same understanding. You've got this verse on your refrigerator, Romans 8:28. For we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things all things is the purpose of God in your suffering. All the suffering that you're going through, all the difficulty, the bereavement, the grief, the, everything that you go through that you, you really don't want to go through. The Bible says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. All things, the evil that is happening to you, 
that's outside of your control, and it seems like it's outside of God's control, is really the purpose of God for you to bring you to a place of ultimate glory. All things most certainly includes the often unseen purposes of God in suffering. You, you want to be out from under your suffering, and certainly none of us want to suffer for the sake of suffering. But what we have to understand is what our suffering is doing for us. Paul says it's working for us, a far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory. The objective of the intense suffering these Christians in the first century are undergoing, the objective, the end of that, is the glory of God. Now, what, what is the event in history that most places in a physical way, in a way that can be seen, the glory of God? Well, that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. We, we often, when, when we're praying, we think that, that what God desires for us is simply to be free from any difficulty whatsoever. But sometimes God's purposes require suffering in order to produce the promised glory. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says that I may know Him, that's Jesus, and the what? The power of His what? The power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto what? The resurrection of the dead. So when Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 says, the end of all things is at hand, he doesn't mean the second coming of Christ, he doesn't mean the end of the world, he doesn't mean a new world government's coming in, he doesn't have any of that in mind. The end, the telos, the goal of our suffering, characterized in all things, the end of all things, the objective of our suffering is the resurrection. The objective of the intense suffering that these Christians in, in, in 1 Peter in the first century are undergoing, the objective of that intense suffering is the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, not later, but now. Note that he says the end of all things is at what? It's, it's present. It's at hand. It's right now. This cannot possibly be referring to the second coming. You know how I know that? Because he hasn't come back yet. So this can't mean the second coming. It can't mean an eschatological understanding of the end of all things. What he means here is, is that in the midst of our suffering, as we live our lives in the midst of a hostile culture, in the midst of a prevailing culture that is hostile to everything that we believe, that is hostile to the will and word of God... We are to live in view of the resurrection life that we already possess in Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The resurrection life of Jesus Christ is not future, it's present for those of us that know him. If you've come into relationship with Jesus Christ, you are, you are in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth 
the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath what? Raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Our salvation is not future, although parts of it are, but our salvation is present in the sense that we have already been raised with Christ. But what Peter's getting ready to unpack is the way that we insulate ourselves from a hostile culture is to do life together. And life meaning the resurrected life of Christ that has empowered all of us, that has enlivened all of us. We do life together in order to insulate ourselves from the hostility of the culture around us to give us some relief from the suffering that we are experiencing. In other words, the goal, the intent, the objective of your suffering is glory. He gets to that in 2 Peter chapter 4, at the end of verse 11, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Here's what we need to understand this morning. We are not making our way toward the end. The end, the goal, the objective of God in our suffering, that end, that goal, is making its way toward us, and it is already present. God's objective in your suffering is that you live the resurrected life of Jesus Christ in your suffering. That you live as one who has been raised from the dead. You live as one who has, who has already died and therefore the world can do its worst to you. Suffering can do its worst to you, but it can't take away your life because you are already dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Your life is the resurrected life that you share with Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are not as the community of believers passively waiting for the end. We're not just sitting here saying, okay, Jesus, when are you going to come and take away all this pain and all this suffering and all this grief and all this suffering? We're not sitting here passively waiting. We're not making our way toward the end. The end, the goal, has made its way toward us. And it's here. And we need to live in in the presence of the resurrected Christ to the point... That all of our life is taken up by God's life. This is how we deal with the hostile culture. Where we recognize that we do not draw our life from the hostile culture. Our life is the life that we have through the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. The end does not mean the end of time. What it really means, and this is unpacked in the, in the verses after verse 7, in verse 8, in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse 11. What it really means is that as we live with the end in view, and the end being the attainment of the resurrection of the body, the resurrected life of Jesus Christ, as we live with that end in view, our lives begin to have a transformative effect on the, on the culture around us, as we live as kingdom people. The end is the impact, the goal is the impact of the transformational reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me put it in a simple question. What difference does it make to you that Jesus Christ is alive and you are alive in Him? That's the fundamental question. 
If you and I are going to make our way in a hostile culture, we have to ask ourselves, what difference does it make to me that Jesus Christ is alive and I'm alive in Him? Would, it make, would that make a difference to me if Jesus Christ is alive, and He is, and I'm alive in Him because I placed my faith in Him, will that make a difference to me in how the world treats me? In what the world says of me? You're on the wrong side of history on whatever issue it happens to be. But I'm not on the wrong side of eternity because I've been raised with Christ. And so all that matters is the resurrected life of Christ. It doesn't matter what the world is saying about me. It doesn't matter what they do to me. It doesn't even matter if they take me and they nail me to a cross. They can't take my life. Why? Because I'm dead and my life is hid with Christ in God. My life isn't what you see. This is why Paul could say, I count not my life dear unto myself. It's not my physical life that matters. It's the reality of the resurrected Christ that makes a difference in all that I do. Life Together in a Hostile Culture is not only our current radio series, it's also our current series during the regular Sunday morning worship service at 10 o'clock a.m. as we continue working our way verse by verse through the first epistle of Peter. I'd be honored to have you worship with us on any Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Redeemer Church of Clarkston meets at Sashabaugh Middle School on Maybe Road between Sashabaugh Road and Clintonville Road in Clarkston. Directions to our church, our service times, what to expect, all can be found at our website, Redeemer. RedeemerClarkston.com. Redeemer Church of Clarkston is committed to the historic Christian faith in the Reformed tradition. When you gather with God's people at Redeemer Church, you'll find a warm welcome, but you'll find the overall emphasis is on the person of Jesus Christ and exalting Him through Scripture reading, prayer, and historic hymns and contemporary hymns that focus theologically our hearts and minds on the person of Christ. Consider this a personal invitation from me, Pastor Paul Edwards, to join us for any one of our Sunday morning worship services at 10 o'clock a.m. We would love to welcome you into the family of Redeemer Church of Clarkston. We invite you to tune in again next week as we continue Life Together in a Hostile Culture from 1 Peter here on Word and Praise Radio.